Welcome to Built by a Boss. I'm your host, Evelyn Brooks, journalist, award-winning producer, author, founder of the Evelyn Brooks Company and In My Solitude LA. On this podcast, you'll hear unique origin stories, growth strategies, and meaningful insights from successful female founders and entrepreneurs who are creating groundbreaking businesses and careers with intention. My guest today is the founder and CEO of The World of Money, a company that's changing the lives of children around the globe by helping them understand how money works so they can then teach their peers and families how to create generational wealth. Here's mogul and major boss, Sabrina Lamb. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. <laughs> Hi, Sabrina. How are you? I haven't seen you since Queen Latifah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Is that not the truth? Oh, I mean, really? That's a, that's amazing when you think about it. We're still here. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. How are you today? I'm great. I've been on every platform you can think of. Well, that's good. Every that's good. Microsoft Teams, Zoom, StreamYard, traditional brick and mortar radio, <laughs> whatever, whatever. I've been on all of them. <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. Well, you have so much to talk about, so I'm so happy that you're on all of them. Because what you're doing with World of Money is just, it's just fantastic. And so wow. I'm excited today to talk to you about it. Thank you. And I want to hear about the Evelyn Brooks Company. And, oh. and we can talk I, however you want to do it. But I want to hear, I want to hear about your thing. Okay. Everything you've been doing. Okay. Well, we'll do that when we're done. Yeah. Building <laughs> build like a boss. Go ahead. <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, there are so many amazing women that I know and that I have come across over the years that are just doing such amazing things, women of color. And, you know, I felt as if I'm not seeing enough and hearing enough of these stories because they're encouraging to other women. They're encouraging to me hearing the the strategies, the workflow, how you are making things happen it's just amazing. And I just want to be a vehicle and a vessel through which people can share their stories and their businesses with the world so that everybody can, you know, grow exponentially. So that is built by a boss. I talk to women who have built something, you know what I mean? That, and they have done it over a period of time. So you've gone through the ups and the downs. And so you can really share your story having been on both sides of the fence. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. What I love about what you're doing. So your company is called World of Money. Mm-hmm. It's a nonprofit. Your mission is to empower youth with a sound financial education. Mm-hmm. You started in 2005, but now you've taken your program to Africa mm-hmm. and you've also partnered with the YWCA in Chicago. Yes. So here's the thing. To do what you have done An amazing vision is required. So when you initially envisioned this company, 
did you see it all over the world? Like you spoke it into existence with the words world of money. What was your intention for the company at the very beginning? The intention for the company at the very beginning was to provide children with immersive financial and entrepreneurial education to play generational catch-up and to provide all the financial information so that they can have two things, options and access. So they can be fluent in every vocabulary and behavior under the world of money. And to your point, it's not, uh, you know, world, it means world of money. And Mm -hmm. so the vision was how to provide it and to provide an immersive financial education for children. And, And the immersive is really, really important because often financial education is provided with a workshop here or a workshop there. Mm-hmm. There's so many lessons under the world of money, starting with save your money, save yourself, and believing that your life is worth saving so that we can change the trajectory of a child's life and their family. Awesome. Now, why did you feel it was important to start with children? Well, You know, I was minding my own business in Mm -hmm. 2005 (laughs) (laughs) and living a creative life from being a broadcaster, a stand-up comic, an actor, you know, just doing that. And sometimes in life, you are struck by a thunderbolt that takes you in an entirely different direction. And so I was in attendance to a workshop for myself. And the whisper came and it said, what if children, particularly those who look like you, could receive the same financial education that you're receiving as this weekend? Mm-hmm. And then the second thump came, how different, Sabrina, would your life have been if you had received the same information? So the answer is it would be totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the financial terrorist in the household. Um, and the sociopath in the household. And <laughs> I was able to, uh, you know, to coax my parents uh, to leverage the kind of financial toxicity they had between them to leverage, make sure I had a new wardrobe or my extended family. Mm-hmm. And I just think about, you know, my, my extended family, my grandparents on both sides, my great aunts, great uncles who you know, they were maids on Miami Beach, but why did they have the financial education to own their own homes? Mm-hmm. To When they passed away, they were debt-free. They prepaid their funerals. But in order to demonstrate their love for me, they gave me everything that I wanted. And they have yeah. said, well, Sabrina, why don't you say something? But we were on our way to the mall. So, Evelyn, how can you save anything when we're going mall shopping? Right, right, <laughs> right. <laughs> So even today, we're going on 16 years, and we're the leading provider of 120 immersive classroom and digital financial education for children ages 7 to 18. And everyone talks about the generational wealth gap. Well, until we address and teach financial education, that is the pathway to addressing the inequities as it relates to generational wealth and closing the wealth gap. And, you know, that is really a key thing that you said, because something that I've observed like over the years in terms of the idea of generational wealth, it's like we hear that all the time. You want to build generational wealth. And that's great. 
But if you don't know what to do with that money, you're going to lose it in that next generation. And you see that all the time because a lot of times parents will say, I worked really hard. I wanted to give my kids everything. And then they give them everything, but they don't give them the the tools to actually make the same money or more than they did. So do you feel that that's a important part of the education you want to provide? I totally get it. I wrote a book called, Do I Look Like an ATM? (laughs) That's a great title. (laughs) A Parent's Guide to Raising Financially Capable um, African-American Children, although it can apply to any child and what, or any parent, because what I do is I unpack a parent's financial belief system. Mm -hmm. Um, It's easy for, you know, everybody should save, everybody should invest, but why don't they? Right. And there's some there's some beliefs, some archetypes behind that under that that behavior, doing it or not doing it from, for example, the martyr financial mindset. It's often it often shows up in single parents who believe I must sacrifice my total being and my security to demonstrate my love for my child. And what that tells the message tells descends to their child is that that's what women should do. They should Mm -hmm. sacrifice themselves and not have financial security so that I can have all of my wants, not my needs, my wants. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, then there's the Disneyland parent who believes that I must demonstrate to my child that everything is wonderful. And it's not. And it's often leveraged that Disneyland mindset between two parents who are are strange and they're trying to one up their presence. You know, I got everything going on and we're going to go to Tahoe and the other parent can't. And what the children witness is the toxicity regarding this subject. And they see how powerful money is and how people, namely their parents, are uh, how it's manipulated. Right, right. The thing I love about your program in terms of when I was looking at your site, what I loved, you had five tenets that you teach in the program. Can you talk about what those tenets are and and how that helps kids moving forward when they leave your program? Yes. So there are five tenets of world of money. Learn, earn, save, invest, donate. In order to have a proper holistic relationship with money, you must do all of them, not just save, not just spend, learn financial education. It's like you learn how to drive a car. Um, You learn everything that you can about money and saving because your life is worth saving, paying yourself first, rule of 72, compound interest, um, it, it investing, learning all the ways, the pathways to creating wealth through investing and donating. Nothing can enter a closed fist. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we must give away some part of our money for, because if you don't, you, when you do that, rather you're feeding prosperity, and, you know, there obviously there are legal ramifications for that because you get a tax write-off, right. but we must do all. And, and the important thing regarding giving, whether it's a nickel or $5,000, is that, you know, we're investing in our communities 
and we're teaching children that they have something to give. I'm just finding too many children who have never been challenged or asked, what is your philanthropic plan? Mm -hmm. Because no one's coming to your neighborhood but you, you live there. So how are you going to create value in the world? And when you look at financially capable people, most of them have a, a philanthropic plan. Right, right. Well, it's really interesting how that ties in to this current moment, because I feel like, I mean, if we're not in a recession, we're headed that way, looking at the food lines and just different things that we're seeing. But this is an opportunity for parents to educate their kids about finances and what that means to cut back and and what that means to sacrifice. It's kind of like, it's not a situation that we can't all get through, but there are tools that are required and they have to come from some type of knowledge that the parents are sharing. And if they don't have it, obviously they all should be in the program, but you know what I mean? It's, It's kind of like, does your program kind of help kids make choices about money in real time? So our approach is holistic and it teaches children how to make decisions for themselves as opposed to the wag the finger and don't explain why. Children are very competitive and they have a heightened sense of fairness and understanding and they're waiting to be called on by their parents or families to join the family in having a financial discussion. I see a family unit as a business. And every week there needs to be a, there needs to be a, um, a family meeting and examining everything that's going on. Because children already know what's going on, but they don't know the details of it. Because parents, because they're, they're, they love their children, they're trying to protect them from what they already know. And so if you in, empower your child or children to say, I need a plan on how we're going to save more, uh, the children will find a way. Because what I have found is for we have an exercise where the children go home and they have a discussion about how much or what what the operating expenses of a home and, and their home rather. And children come back to where all the money are horrified that parents are paying a $200 <laughs> for cable. Oh my gosh, that's hysterical. <laughs> the kids are horrified. They're horrified. <laughs> they have no idea. And, and they understand that that is, and then we don't have a college fund or, or we're going on vacation and the lights are about to turn off. I mean, they understand, but they have to, the, the time to have money or a financial conversation with the child is as young as possible. Um, and not when, you know, there's a, a what do you call a, a, a crisis happening. A crisis. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, the thing that's also interesting about money, and this was my experience growing up, in that there was so much emotion tied to it. And so I didn't necessarily know what was going on, but I knew when there was money and I knew when there was not money based on the emotion that was tied to an expense. You know what I mean? It's like, you may want this particular thing and it's like, it's a big deal, but then maybe last week it wasn't. And then 
um, my parents each had different approaches to money. You know, my mother was a spender. She loved to shop. My father, his fist was so tight. I mean, you need a crowbar to peel a finger off to get a coin out. I think so, we have the same parents. <laughs> so, you know, so as a kid, I'm learning that there was scarcity attached to it. And I learned early on, it's like, I mean, I've always had like seven different jobs. At 15, I, I was a dental assistant, right? Like making my own money because, right. yeah, because I did not want to deal with the emotion and the stress of asking my parents for money. So I quickly decided I had to figure out how to get my own money, but that's not always the reaction. And that obviously took some time for me to get to that place where I saw this dynamic around money. But as a child, kids are coming to you and there's as much to learn as there probably is to unlearn about money. Yes. Yes. So, you know, what I encourage parents to do is really teaching children to approach any environment with the how can I earn as opposed to how can I get? What can I do to earn this? Because we're in a world and it was it was pre-COVID as well, but we're in a world where people don't have the tolerance for the gimme, gimme, gimme people. Right. It's the what can you do to create value because children are so brilliant, they can create an initiative or something that that can create revenue or just eliminate the emotional chaos in the household. So they're not, now that they understand the expenses and this is how much we have saved, they're not going to be asking for the $300 sneakers. And and you made the, the great point about that emotion. We mm-hmm. cannot, as African-American people, we cannot ignore our, his, our history on this, on this particular continent, mm-hmm. right? And understand that a lot of that spending, that $1.5 trillion that African-Americans will spend pre, during, and post-COVID, mm-hmm. we're going to find a way to get to Black Friday. I'm going to tell you that right now. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, it's emotion. Yeah. It's feeling that emptiness. And I really understand that when I'm reaching for a Kit Kat bar, there's something emotional going on with me. Right. And I understand what that fever is, that lack of scarcity that, you know, this powerful marketing machine is feeding or pumping into all parents uh, to, to make them feel unless you have that thing, you're not worthy. Right. And it's a trillion dollar industry. Right. And what I say or what we teach children that you are perfect as you are right now without spending another nickel, you're already perfect as you are. And then their spirits can hear or learn or accept or apply to their life all the financial modalities that we teach them over three weeks. That that's a really great point because then your identity is not tied to approval, right? So if I don't have the sneakers, then I'm not walking around thinking I'm not good enough or I'm not as good as them. I'm looking at them like you're buying $250, $300 sneakers and you don't have a car. You you know what I'm saying? So when you have that type of information, 
I think you can make better choices as a child, particularly as it pertains to peer pressure. Exactly. And it's another conversation when we show uh, the videos of the sweatshops of brown children on, you know, assembly lines creating the products that we're obsessed about. Yeah. It's a different conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, but it ties into the concept that you're teaching about philanthropy and yeah. how, how you are giving, how your money is being circulated in the world and who you are giving your money to, because that is as important as, okay, you have this generational wealth, you're understanding as a child, how to, how to use money, but then you're going out and you're spending your money with companies and people who don't value your dollar. Mm -hmm. So, so that becomes kind of an aha moment for you when you see that this company, if we look at their advertising, there's nobody that looks like me in that ad. So should, should I give them my money or should I make a different choice based on this company who appreciates my uh, portion of the $1.2 trillion <laughs> that we spend every year? Precisely. So that's one of the activities at World of Money is that, you know, they, they break up into groups and they have to make a list of all the, the, the things that everybody has to buy when they return to school. Mm-hmm. And that, that list, those names just rattle off. And then I ask them exactly what you just said. So how, how many internships do they provide? How many jobs do they provide? How many people of color on their board of directors? And it gets real quiet, you know, because we want them to be educated consumers. Buy what you like, but understand what you're feeding. Right, exactly. I pulled this report. It was the Nielsen report, and they were talking about African-American spending, the dollar, and they they definitely named that number, $1.2 trillion. But then what was really telling to me was it broke down specific things like 96% of African-Americans own a smartphone and how a large portion of what we spend is on like health and beauty in terms of our, our physical appearance. Right. Um, and so there were all of these things that were kind of broken down, which spoke to the idea of a lot of things being spent on the external, so to speak. But then it also broke down in another report. It talked about when we are trying to get a loan or something like that, how we are often going to sublenders or, you know, different places that charge you higher interest rates or whatever. So how do you try to convey the idea of the cost, the price of money ah. to kids? Because that's a very, it's like a difficult concept for adults to really understand. Oh, kids get it. Um, <laughs> because <laughs> we have a, a, a course called Money Drainers. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about the predatory financial uh, so-called services that prey on not only communities of color, but financially vulnerable communities. And we specifically teach them about to stay away from rent centers payday loans, check cashing, mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. And why? We don't teach in an lecture way. It's interactive. They're on their feet. There's videos, there's lessons, and they get it. They get it. 
and they will go home and tell their parents, you know, that this is, it costs more to have or safer to have our, our money in a financial institution. And even those in that situation, we need to research the best financial institution for us. Is it a bank or is it a credit union? Mm-hmm, who's who's mm-hmm. paying the, who's paying us the most money to have our money housed at their at their institution? The most interest. Wow. So we teach children how to think, what questions to ask, you know, because it's not about just going, there's a bank on the corner, it's convenient, great. But what if there's one 10 blocks away that pays you higher interest? And so it's about giving in empowering our children with the questions to ask and them feeling empowered to ask those questions and not feeling, well, this is a powerful entity. They look like they know what they're talking about. And then therefore I must just adhere to whatever they ask. And that's not the case. So this is just so amazing that all of this came from a nudge, a (laughs) hunch, the inspiration. When you started this, what were some of the hurdles or the obstacles you had to overcome to start to build this platform for children? Because you had to get the parents to buy in. So, so what was your approach and your, your strategy? Well, first, um, and I still believe this to this day, everyone's not going to see your vision when you create anything. Right. And you don't need anyone's permission to co-sign your vision. And so because World of Money didn't and still doesn't exist anywhere else, I had to, and there were people that were saying, children not going to want to know this. Black parents are not going to want, the whole thing. But Sabrina Lamb doesn't listen to co, I don't need co-signers. Right. Never did. And so um, I would say in terms of learning as a leader and creating a nonprofit, I learned, had to learn very fast, you know, how to create a nonprofit, get a board of directors, um, learn how to fundraise, all of that. And I did that as the lines were, you know, getting longer and longer out our door. Nice. And so I would, I would say if what anything was difficult, I was just, I'm a laser focused person. And once that vision, um, I'm enamored with that vision, nothing stops me. You know, I just, I mean, I'm just going to continue no matter what. And yes, there were a lot of no's. People uh, blatantly have said, no, I'm not going to support, not going to sponsor. No, 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 no. And instead of just, just focusing on the no's, I turn and pivot and, and focus on the yeses. Right. You only need one. Right. You don't need everybody to agree with what you're doing. Absolutely. And so how did Africa come about? Because let me just tell you, when I saw that video of you with the little kids dancing around in a circle in Ghana, I mean, I, I was just like, I just watched it over and over because it was so amazing. (laughs) Any, anyone who's listening, they have to go to your website and just, and just really see that because it just it just really shows you how hungry kids are for information to take control of their lives at such a young age. Yeah. So so how did that come about? So in 2017, um, I had the vision to create an app that uh, you know children and anyone could 
could use to respond to the um, inquiries that we receive from around the country and around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've become a global uh, advocate for financial education and inclusion. And I speak at conferences and as a result, created partnerships with schools in Senegal, Rwanda, South Africa, Ghana, and Kenya. And so when I'm there, um, you know, I have workshops and what have you. And to your point about the, there's a difference between the children in the West and the children on the continent. Mm-hmm. There's no safety nets. There's no, well, you're going to go and get the training or you're going to go to the job corps or you're going to go to unemployment. You better create a business full stop mm-hmm. or you don't eat. Mm-hmm. And so they were, they've always leaned forward with such zeal and excitement and whatever, you know, there is to, to learn or to, uh, for me to teach, they're there to learn. And so thank goodness for the power of technology, because I still do workshops virtually. I have, you know, 2,500 young ladies who are my my daughters that we have Zoom calls with who are starving, not for charity, but they're starving for the information that they can fly. Mm, I, I just love that. And so you went to you went to Ghana. You're working all over Africa. So now this next moment here in the states with the YWCA in Chicago, tell me more about what what is happening there with World of Money. Well, I was minding my own business again. <laughs> you always minding your business, and people just bother you. <laughs> well, um, I had in my in my spirit that I was interested in partnering with another organization. Mm-hmm. And um, thank goodness those conversations did not go anywhere. And then I met a CEO of last year of the YWCA of Metropolitan Chicago. We had a great time at a conference, didn't talk business at all. Mm-hmm. Circled back in March of this year. And after meeting with her and her senior team, they said, we would like to acquire a world of money. Wow. Here's the thing. I fell off my chair. Um, I, she said, it's so, it's so important, everyone, to be clear on your vision and to you know, have vision boards and, and never forsake that vision because she said everything I've been waiting for some organization to say. What did she say? He said, we want to acquire World of Money and invest in you and invest so that World of Money can replicate and expand its impact. That's it. That's it. And so now, yes, I'm still the lead of the head of the organization, still based in New York. But my, uh, you know, and yes, we're already doing work, you know, on the continent or whatever, but definitely the, the, the wings have expanded to Illinois, to schools. Um, if there was a blessing this year, it gave me the time, Evelyn, so that I could sit down. Or you t- I told you about the app in 2017, mm-hmm. but uh, to create a full, a deep dive youth financial education digital course which is worldofmoneyonline.org. And now that's being used by schools and youth groups and school systems and that sort of thing. So, and, and our approach is children teaching their peers. 
So mm-hmm. it's not me yag, you know, wagging my finger about credit. It's it's Dante teaching his 16-year-old peers about credit. That makes a lot of sense. You're making choices about money when you're with your peers, not necessarily when you're with your parents or, you know, with your teacher or whomever is teaching you. Yeah. It's like in the moment of your life when all of your friends are at the mall, are you going to buy the candy with your $5 or are you going to put that in your piggy bank? You know what I mean? Brilliant point. Yes. And, and the other level of engagement is that they listen to each other. So right. why not have world of money, real children, we call them moguls, teaching, you know, leading, helming these uh, financial lessons on worldofmoneyonline.org. So I love that you call the kids moguls because I think how you define yourself is very important to how you see yourself in the future. So talk more about why you call the kids moguls. Because that's what I see in them. Experts in some sector, some industry, financially secure, philanthropic, globally focused, kind, compassion. I, that's what I call them upon first meeting them, a mogul, as opposed to being a mogul and you don't know nothing. <laughs> right, right. Like, what, what does that mean? Right. And, and it's, it's true because I think part of the challenge of, of this moment that we're in as it pertains to money is really seeing like, this is the time when you see whether you know, whether you have actual skills or not, because you're, you're learning how to bounce back. You're learning how to survive. You're learning risk management. When I was working on a syndicated show, you make a lot of money. And then what happens is when you, switch gears or go and and work on another type of show that's not syndicated or that money is not the same, but your ego doesn't know that yet. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? And so I can see that. Like I learned, I remember learning that lesson. It's like, okay, you cannot spend at the same level that you spent when you made this amount of money, you have to now shift gears And so I think that's a big part of understanding money too, is understanding that it's cyclical. I totally, I see that too. And I'm concerned. And, you know, there's a part of their spirit that thinks that, or is waiting for, you know, it's like magic. And then we're in 2019 and before again. Yes. And um, those who do not pivot in some way, in their mindset, in their actions, financially or whatever, I'm concerned about. But I also get why they're continuing in that way because they're maybe just afraid and they're trying to hold on to what they feel is normal and they're using money to feed that fear. Um, But this is the time to say, snap out of it. Right. I was going to say, what is your... Your advice in this moment, because uh, some people are caught in that moment and then other people were trying to figure out a side hustle or a way to start a business. Yeah. So I recommend to start right now saving, saving as much money as possible. Um, I'm concerned that a lot of people are attracted to the shiny thing, meaning, oh, I'm going to invest in cryptocurrency and don't have any you know, emergency fund, or I'm going to invest in the stock market because they watched a YouTube video. 
And what I'm saying is, is that unless you are financially educated and, and you understand the risk, then what are we doing? And, and so, but starting with saving and having cash on hand and then cutting back, understanding that there's some, there's some experiences you really don't need. You may want, and maybe that was great in, in the 90s, but do you really, really need it? And so that if something changes and you have to leave your circumstance, that you have at least six months of emergency fund, because we, as a, the economy has not really shifted like I believe it's going to. But even if it, everything is wonderful, wonderful, we all need me included, to stock away as much money, cash, liquid as possible. Perfect. I have two more questions for you. Okay. This question I like to ask everybody. So we all have 24 hours in a day, but we all do different things with it. And sometimes those things that you do every day will help create more success in your life or they may waste time. What three things would you say you do every day to create more success, more wealth, more peace in your life? Hmm. Well, I started in my day with my Buddhist prayer. Um, And it's really important that I uh, just continue to review my own determination in life. Mm-hmm. Um, I also don't focus on or invest in a lot of experiences or things that are transitory because mm-hmm. everything is, uh, or a lot of things are transitory. And I also never am determined to never live with any regret. So whatever is in my spirit, whatever I'm determined to do, that's what I'm going for because I I remember when I was graduated from college and I was speaking with a family member and her experience, her story was all about regret. What she wished she had done, what she, you know, I determined because I loved her so that I was not going to ever say that, wow, I wish I could have. Anything that I determined, Evelyn, I'm going for. I'm going for it. I love it. So this podcast is called Built by a Boss. Sabrina Lamb, what is your definition of a boss? Ownership is really key. Uh, About two years ago, I created a fintech called Wakeza, which is Swahili for invest that will enable citizens of uh, non-U.S. citizens to purchase fractional or whole shares from their, uh, of, of U.S. publicly traded companies from their mobile phones. We're based in U.S. and Nairobi, Kenya. And so I own it. And I believe that everyone should determine to own something free and clear. So a boss owns something. And so it's really important as we determine to hit the reset button with our relationship with money and experiences and the trajectory of our life, that we are committed to owning something that has value and create an asset that increases value over time. I love it. Thank you so much, Sabrina. Tell me how, tell everyone how they can find you, your website, social media, um, where would you like us to go to learn more about World of Money? You can visit worldofmoney.org. You can also visit worldofmoneyonline.org. You can follow me on uh, 
Instagram at boss Sabrina Lamb. Wonderful. Sabrina Lamb, thank you so much for being on Built by a Boss. You're awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Let me tell you something. Every woman that comes on this show is a true force to be reckoned with, and that is certainly true of Sabrina Lamb. If you have children in your life, sign them up for her program. And by all means, please support her work. If you enjoyed this episode, take a moment to share it with a friend or family member. And also, be sure to follow us at Built by a Boss on Instagram and Facebook. And visit me at InMySolitudeLA.com for well-being content that supports your mind, body, and spirit. We have some amazing holiday workshops and gifts that you might enjoy. So check us out. And as always, thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to this podcast. I truly appreciate you. Until next time, be kind, be brave, be better, be a boss.